0: It, but I just pissed it Fade off Faded polka dot party dress Is that what
1: you're, you're wearing? You got a sweats. The storm that is Jinx Monsoon blew into many of our lives as the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 5. But for people paying attention in the Pacific Northwest, Jinx has been eating up stages with their duo The Vaudevillians and other radical theatrical productions for years. Jinx and their songwriting partner slash de facto therapist Major Scales are touring with a new cabaret act called The Ginger Snapped. And Jinx is joining me on the line to tell us all about it. Jinx Monsoon, thank you. Welcome to The Warning Amp.
0: Thank
1: you for having me. Now, uh, before the Ginger Snap, before the Vaudevillians, uh, vaudevillians, uh, before Drag Race, there was Jarek Hoffer, Theater Kid. Now, can you tell me about the journey to international drag superstardom, uh, starting with Young You?
0: Well, um, after I watched season four of RuPaul's Drag Race, I decided that I was probably as ready as I was ever going to be to audition. I only ever auditioned once. Most girls audition like a handful of times before they make it on. And I was one of the lucky ones who got on the first year I auditioned. So I went into it really realistically, you know. Like I, I thought I'd be happy if I made it halfway through. But when that happened and I made it to the top five eventually that was when i really decided like i'm gonna go for this and i'm gonna try really really hard to win this so (laughs) once i was at that point you know it wasn't so much about the money or the title it was more about the sense of accomplishment it gave me of knowing that like if you really really apply yourself and if you work really hard and if you're truly passionate about what you want to do as your art form that you can accomplish really amazing things that you previously never thought possible
1: (laughs) when i speak to to folks who are you know deeply entrenched in the drag arts and they tell the story of never having thought that this would be a thing that they could make a living doing in their wildest dreams and and every year a new a new crop of, of Rue Girls pops up that's able to tour the world and, and really just take the ball and run with it. Is this something that you, even in, in college or even, you know, 10 years ago, thought would be a career-making thing for you?
0: Um, I guess I never thought of it that way, but I always kind of hoped it could be that. Um, because before RuPaul's Drag Race, like before there was a TV show devoted to drag queens. <laughs> yeah. There have been, you know, I call them the old guard of drag, um, the queens who made a living being drag queens without a TV show devoted to drag. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a true testament to hard work and commitment. Because You've got people like Lady Bunny, Barla Jean Merman, Teclina, and Peaches Cry, and Coco Peru, and Jackie B, and Dina Martina. I could keep naming yeah. them. And, of course, you know, like, the big ones like RuPaul and Jay um, Medna, like there were queens who found a way to make a living and to spend their entire life, you know, yeah. devoted to drag, even before the TV show created this phenomenon that we're now all benefiting from. I guess I had always kind of saw myself doing this, but didn't know. I think I was able to skip ahead like 10 years, because without Drag Race, I probably would still be chugging away at the local cabarets. You know, trying to get noticed by the right people. Baby, I've been stomping around in these heels for all the goddamn day. I got aches and annoyance from living to earn my pay.
1: Jill Hopkins joining me on the line, international drag superstar Jinx Monsoon. Their new album, The Ginger Snapped, is out now. Now I want to I want to talk to you about your stage work here, the Vaudvilians and uh, the Ginger Snapped, and your partner in music, Major Scales. I I, um, I really enjoyed the Vaudvilians and and the the chemistry that the two of you have on stage is is uh, it just transfers itself to the audience. You have such a great time watching the show. Uh, how did you two meet? How did you start working together?
0: Um, we met in college. We started at Cornish College at the same time. And he was kind of carving out his own um, musical composer track. I was on the traditional musical theater track, but I kind of customized my classes so that I was taking, rather than dance classes, um, clown classes and um, physical movement classes because I knew that it would enhance my understanding of my, my drag um, character work. Mm-hmm. But we we met, we got asked to do a cabaret show together and um, he and I decided we wanted to do, like, rock classics, rock classics from the 70s, but do, like, a ragtime vaudeville spin on it. And it just kind of started out as a joke between us, but soon, like, the characters and the storyline developed for the vaudevillians. So way before Drag Race and way before I had this, like, um, platform to introduce this show to a, a wide audience, mm-hmm. Major and I had been doing it at college for, like, um you know, fundraiser functions and stuff or just like talent shows. Yeah. And then we were doing it in restaurants and cabarets and black box theaters and stuff. So this show has been in development for, like I guess, like eight eight years now.
1: <laughs> I really yeah. love the, the concept there that you are uh, unfrozen cabaret performers uh, who have uh, found out that uh, performers throughout the 20th century have been biting your songs and not giving you credit Yeah, <laughs> that is hilarious to me tell me about the ginger Snapped. what is the concept that we're going to get to see on stage with this new show
0: well since the vaudevillians you know we've we've written probably four or five other shows together um and everything has been you know a little bit of an experiment because the vaudevillians was such a self-contained thing we didn't want to try to recreate that in any way we wanted to focus more on being jinx and major rather than creating another new set of characters <laughs> but we wanted to bring the kind of the theatricality and the commitment to character and the commitment to over the top performance that we do in the vaudevillians to our other cabaret shows where we're just playing ourselves and After years and years of writing other shows that, like, were great but just didn't have that same magic that the Vaudevillians had, um, we finally have written The Ginger Snap, which I've been told by multiple friends is the best show I've written since The Vaudevillians. (laughs) And that feels really good because we've been aiming at that bullseye for a while. But um, The Ginger Snap features all the um, new original music by Major Scales and myself that's on our new album of the same title. Um, but we wanted to do something different than just like presenting a concert of the music. We wanted to write a little bit of a story and have a through line and a little bit of stick to it. So the premise is that Jinx Monsoon and Major Scales are there to present their new music from their new album but Jinx is already kind of on the warpath from the moment she hits the stage and um, very soon into the show she has a little bit of a mental breakdown and Major suggests that she would benefit from seeking professional help from a therapist. And, you know, (laughs) gung-ho, as Jinx Muggin is, um, she decides that now's the best time to start seeking that professional help. So Major has to do double duty as um, the piano player and as Jinx's new um, interim therapist. (laughs) (laughs) And so the whole show kind of plays out like a live psychotherapy session punctuated by music so we come at it with a very dark um, comedic take on the conversation of mental health but it is a serious conversation and my mission statement with this show was to destigmatize mental illness by embracing my own on stage and i think one of the things that people are um, why so many of my friends are telling me it's one of my better shows i've ever written is because it comes from a place of truth and vul- of vulnerability within my own life. We really bring up my best and worst moments in the last five years since Drag Race, and we kind of tackle the issue of what happens when you become an overnight celebrity, and what happens when, you know, you've been working your whole life at something, and then you get it, and then you find out that <laughs> it's not exactly the way you dreamed it was going to be, because, you know, I'm clearly not the only drag queen out there who's had to have a mental health conversation with themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that like we as a community have never really talked about because drag was so underground for so long and it was so personal and so private for so long. And now we've opened it up and I think when you become like a bona fide celebrity within your community, there's just an onslaught of issues you're going to have to deal with no matter how successful you are or how um, much fun you're having doing it there's just certain things that come with that amount of pressure and that amount of success i guess <laughs> I, like I, like now turn it up. I don't know why are all gagging. she brings it to you every
1: oh. i'm jill hopkins you're listening to vocalo joining me on the line ruPaul's drag race season 5 winner jinx monsoon the drag game is is ever changing it's more so than I think so many other forms of art our are, are. Uh, it's evolving so quickly uh How is it different than even just five years ago, five seasons ago when uh, you took home the crown
0: um I think something that um share needles and myself and Bianca and violet um I'm just using us four as an example because those are the girls that probably know the best. Mm-hmm. And we also represent a very diverse gamut of drag. Like Sharon came in and was the first one doing horror drag mm-hmm. on Drag Race. I was very much speech in musical theater and um, camp and vaudeville. And Bianca's a stand-up comedian. And then you've got Violet, who's a, um, a model and a burlesque performer. I think what we're learning now is that... Drag can take any shape and any form. Um, There is no one, like, pre-prescribed way to do drag correctly. It's about taking what you're passionate about and putting it through a drag filter and and looking at it through a drag lens. We're showing the world that, yes, we are drag queens, but we are also everything else we want to be, too. Like, just because you're a drag queen doesn't mean you can't be a legitimate music artist, you know, Mm -hmm. a legitimate musician. You know, a lot of the music that's coming out, it's like, yeah, we're drag queens, but the music, if you just listen to it, it's just good music. It yeah. doesn't have to be about drag, and it doesn't have, you don't have to listen to it like, oh, this is drag queen music, because it's just music. And drag queen actors are just actors. We just choose to um, portray the opposite sex. Or well, not even all the time yes. the opposite sex, but like a, uh, a hyper-realized interpretation of gender. I think it's being embraced much more in mainstream entertainment and media because, A, it's entertaining, but B, it's a fresh look on things, you know? Like, I'm going to have a completely different way of accessing a character than anyone else would because of the experiences I've had. So I think if more mainstream media realizes that, like, first of all, drag's not going anywhere, and second of all, drag artists are capable of so much more than we were previously given credit for, then we can kind of like uh, take media and entertainment into a whole new realm, given the chance.
1: Audiences are so sophisticated now. The drag audience especially, uh, I watch it. I'm a, you know, almost 40-year-old black woman. I married a giant (laughs) six-foot-five-inch heterosexual Kansas man who watches this show (laughs) with as much, if not more, devotion than I do. And uh, is is this something that just makes you so happy to to see this thing that you love permeate to so many different kinds of people?
0: What I see is that Drag Race is so entertaining and has caught the attention of, of such a diverse audience. Uh, people are able to like access it and enjoy it whether or not they know a lot about drag or a lot about the queer community. It then um, encourages them To learn more about the queer community. And if maybe they had like preconceived um, judgment or bias against queer people or drag queens, the show is like this non threatening, very welcoming um, introduction and invitation into our community. And people then are having like their previous um, notions about queer people and drag artists torn down by a TV show that's showing them like, hey, we're actually just really fun, kooky, sensitive, nuanced, multifaceted people, just mm. like you. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's—I think it's caused um, the mainstream culture to embrace queer culture and embrace um, drag culture in a way that never would have happened without a TV show like RuPaul's Drag Race. Now it's up to us, the drag queens, to educate our audience so that they're not. Um, Taking what they want from our culture, and then uh, turning their back on you know the queer rights movement mm-hmm. and the civil rights movements we're still fighting for. But what I really love is that our audience is now so young, which I never would have predicted. Mm. But um, we have such a teenage overflow of fans oh, yeah. <laughs> that we're educating the next generation to be more open-minded and to be to embrace um, diversity and. To um, tear down the constructs that confined us in terms of gender and sexuality for so long You know, gender's becoming more fluid within the next generation And sexuality's becoming more fluid within the next generation And that's what we need to be able to move forward
1: as a society (laughs) Thank you
0: Thanks, bye Now in the past I've caused confusion, it's true But was the fun of living life, pink or blue? I say, just tell them all to shut up and just be you.